Let's thank our worship team for an awesome, awesome job uh, this morning. They always do a fantastic job, but they, they, work, they work so hard. They make it look effortless, but it is a lot of work, and we're so thankful for the ways that they um, bring us to uh, worship every single week. So we've been doing a series called Fulfilled, uh, where we're thinking about what it means to be fulfilled, uh, not just far off in the future, but that God calls us to live an abundant life now, that understanding more and more of what it means to be a Christian and following Jesus more closely with our lives leads us to a more fulfilling life, I would argue, now. And the question that we've been kind of basing it off is the question that is in Mark chapter 10, when a blind man encounters Jesus, and Jesus comes up to him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, well, uh, my sight, please, that'd be nice. And Jesus does that for him. But what I want us to think about throughout this series is just the beginning of that question. What do you want? And what do you really want with your life? Because I would argue that the times that I've messed up things the most, when I've made things not great in, in my life, in my relationships, is when I don't answer that question well. What is it that I really want out of life? Am I participating in what God has called me to more fully so I can get that just a little bit more. This morning I want to talk about something that we began a little bit of discussion about a couple weeks ago, but it's understanding how important it is for us as we think about our lives to learn to give our lives in, in some sort of way away, because you can't fulfill you. That even if you were to think of like all the ways that you wish things were better in your life and you like had this list and you came up with it, it ultimately still won't make you happy if you aren't finding ways to actively give yourself away. And the problem is we look around and, at the world and social media is a wonderful thing. Seriously, go on Instagram and give us some love. That'd be awesome. It's a really nice thing. But the problem is we have like all of these things and these pictures of other people's lives and we see parts of their lives that we're like interested in or, or jealous of. We don't really see the struggle perhaps of like how, how difficult it was to actually like make that trip with a couple kids or whatever it happens to be. But we see the picture and we don't see that like really most of them had the flu the whole time. But they, you know, they, they, they got somehow together for this photo. And so what we start to do is we put together like this composite person in our head of like, you know, I'd like that from that person's life. I'd like this from that person's life. I'd like this. And we don't really think about like the struggle it is to be that person, but we have this almost composite image of what it is that we think the good life would be. For example, yours might look something like this. So the brain, the brain of Bill Gates, that's also his hand with the money there on the side, the abs of, I don't know, I didn't know there were abs in some of those places, um, but like those, uh, I, yeah, I don't even know, I googled amazing abs, risky Google, but um, I, I, I found that, the, the, the arm of a famous pitcher and, and the legs of Usain Bolt. Like you could have this, this image of like, you know, what, what would it be like to have the good life? And, and you start to have this. I'm actually very fortunate. I had something add to my slides, and so I went back onto the computer back there a second time, and I had left, like, the crop of the legs just on the screen. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> glad, no- <laughs> glad nobody else saw that yet, because I was like, what is Brian looking at back here? But this is what we can easily fall into if, if we're not careful. Like, there's, like, this, this composite image, you know, I'd like that from that person's life, and that from this person's life, and this from that person's life, and you don't even really think about it, but you start to think about like, oh, it would be really nice to have all these things. You don't really think about what it is to like struggle to actually be that person and perhaps how difficult it would be. And the issue is we just have this image of like, this is what the good life is. 
That's the problem with jealousy. Is jealousy is an appetite that's never satisfied. Have any of you gotten to a point you're like, you know what, I'm jealous enough. <laughs> you know, I think I've arrived. My jealousy was like enough, and now that's fulfilled. Now I can get on to something else. We never get there, right? That's because these appetites that we can fall into, the things that we can sometimes think is like going to lead us to the good life, I think ultimately isn't really. There are real ties, though. Um, Like historically, people have seen, and through studies, they've found that there are are ties between fulfillment, like being actually fulfilled in your life, and, and selflessness. There's ties with health and being selfless as well. There's ties with health and volunteering. I mean, you can just look up study after study on this. Just Google some of these things. Just a few things that, that I, I found, and, and there's a book that I've been reading for this series. Uh, in the University of Chicago, they asked people to list uh, how happy and fulfilled they were at work, and the most fulfilling professions um, for people came back as caring for others, um, teaching um, others, protecting others, and then creative pursuits. And if you're in one of those fields, you might be thinking, what? That's really hard, but uh, I'm, I'm as happy as can be. Uh, but like, these are the things that ultimately, generally, like, lead people to a higher sense of fulfillment. And all of those, I would argue, have something to do with others. If you're in a creative pursuit and someone isn't paying you for it and enjoying it, then you probably won't be in that creative pursuit uh, for very long. And these are the people and, and the ways that people are, are most fulfilled in life when it comes to job title. There was a study done by the University of Missouri that said this, if you volunteer, it leads to lower rates of depression, heart disease, less stress, and less drug use. And this study went on to say something interesting, that even if you start whatever it is that you're doing, that you're like giving up some of your time, if you start it with a bad attitude, it's still healthy for you. So if you have to drag your teenager there, or yourself, it's actually ultimately helpful. And even though if you're gritting your teeth and not really perhaps enjoying it in the moment, it still ultimately leads you to health. They found that one of the ways that you can fight cancer is through, like, mentoring other people. These things are like, we don't really equate that with that, right? We don't really necessarily think, like, well, that that makes sense. And we start to think that a good life is about fulfilling and acquiring the things that would make me personally happier. And I know why it's hard sometimes to volunteer and, and to show up and to actively participate in the lives of other people. I get that it's hard because you're busy. It feels like uh, to survive in the U.S. today, you have to work 60-hour work weeks. There's a lot on, on your plate. And I know it's hard. There's like hard to make that a priority in your life. But I would argue that you don't have time not to. That ultimately, it's going to lead you, like, study after study. This isn't like Bible verses that are saying this. The Bible also says this. But you don't have time not to find ways to give your life away. And the question then becomes, well, like, how can this be? And how do these different things say this? And then obviously this is something that's in the Bible. I think it's because we are designed by God in this way. In Philippians chapter 2, possibly my, my favorite verses, it's written what people would say is a, a hymn perhaps that the early church sang. And the song basically says that Jesus could have been equal and in fact was equal, had this equality with God. And he could have like grasped and, and lived his life acting like he was a really big deal. But instead, he lives like a servant. 
He learns to give his life away. I think that's what the Bible wants us to live for, to love each other, to care for each other, to carry each other's burdens. And again, like it shows statistically that you'll be happier if you do that, but it's so easy to just start to live like protecting yourself and and your stuff and worrying about like your boundaries and worrying about the things that you want to accomplish for yourself. When I was growing up, my, my parents said that my sister is a couple years older than me, and she would always blame me for things as the older sister. And so, like, stuff would be all around the room. My parents would come in, and she'd be like, Brian's fault. You know, Brian's the one. I, I, for most of that time, I couldn't talk. Uh, and so that was like, it was just like, it's Brian. Brian, like, threw everything around the room again. And that was how, like, it lasted for very long until finally uh, they said my first words were, no sister. Those are my first two words, because I was tired of her just like, you know, placing, placing the blame and just throwing it on me. So those are my, my first words. Where I'm not like doing this anymore. I'm not going to like live like that. You're not going to blame me for everything. And of course, there comes a point when yeah, you need to maybe set up some boundaries for yourself, especially with your older sibling. But in reality, we can live just like from self-protection all the time and worried about like how people perceive us or thinking from that perspective. It's easy to live your entire life like that. But think about the happiest and most fulfilled person that you know. I would argue if you're thinking of someone who really like deeply is fulfilled, they have a certain peace about them. They aren't filled with anxiety all the time. And if you really think about them and the life that they're living, I bet they've found some way to give their life away. That's hard for us to understand and hard for us to actually live into. Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia, and he says this, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those things, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a list where you're like, whoa, there's some pretty heavy stuff on there. But I would argue that all of us have participated in one way or another with something on that list. And it's generally when we're deciding that we're just going to live for ourselves, that we're just going to live with whatever it is that's right in front of us. We talked a few weeks ago about how important it is for us to understand that when we put our own pleasure in front of our ultimate fulfillment, what ends up happening after a while is you have neither. Now, God wants us to live a pleasurable life and to enjoy life, but when you flip it in the right direction and you say, you know, what is it that I really want out of life? What, what are the things that ultimately will fulfill me? Then, yes, there are pleasurable experiences and there are things that we are, are, are called to enjoy with this life. Uh, there are things that we are called to, to participate in, but when you just live for pleasure, eventually you're not going to have pleasure or fulfillment. And you've seen people, unfortunately, whose lives are, are, are destroyed because they've just allowed themselves to, to let that continue to be the thing that they live for. So Paul continues, and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self, gentleness and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Our kids have been trying to teach us this out in the hallway because we have the fruit stand of the fruits of the Spirit. You should go um, check it out. These verses are just so powerful, right? It's the kind that whenever you read it, you're like, man, those would be nice things to have. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. And Paul ends with that, that really brilliant statement, against such things there is no law. That there's no society in human history that will put some sort of law out against people who are living in this kind of way. Imagine if there was a world where all of these things could be practiced, that the ways that Paul describes God's fruit and the the Spirit and the presence of God being active in our lives. Imagine if we could have a whole society, all people doing that. There wouldn't need to be police. There wouldn't be need for any law. Against such things, there is no law. Can you imagine a world like that? Where you let those things be the things that you were living for? Where you let those things be your priorities? Where you didn't think about yourself first, but you tried to live for other people? Again, I think you were created for this. To live a life that goes way beyond you. My mom was clearing some some things out of her house, so she brought uh, over a medal uh, to me that um, I got in, I think, about fifth grade for some uh, achievement at school. I was a pretty smart guy, I guess. Uh, And I realized as I got this this medal back from her um, that I don't think I ever actually wore the medal. Like, I was presented the medal um, as a kid in fifth grade or so, but I never actually wore it. So, uh, I was holding it, and my son Carter said, wear the medal, Dad. So uh, yesterday, I wore the medal around the house, and a, f- a few people came over, and they were like, what are you wearing, and why, why are you um, wearing that? I had to explain this, because Carter asked me to. I'm not, like, proud of a fifth-grade achievement anymore, but it's because Carter, Carter asked me um, to do it, and I realized there was a time I was out in, in the yard throwing something away, and I was like, oh, man, the neighbors might see this. I, like, who, who is this guy? And I think about, like, at, at, at a time in my life, that, that was really good. You know, for, for good grades, I was, I was working hard, and, you know, it was, like, stressful at that time, I'm sure, to try and do that. And so at some level, I was, I was honored for it. So some of the things that, like, we try and strive for are, aren't ultimately bad things, but they're not the ultimate thing. And it would be kind of ridiculous if I really was, like, still wearing that medal, right? You'd be like, all right, Brian, like, we need to talk about the medal. Uh, you would, like, want to have a conversation because ultimately, like, I should be living for bigger things now. I should be striving for something different. But how often we can, like, be so focused on something and have, like, tunnel vision around whatever it is, and then, like, I don't know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, is that really going to define you anymore? Would you want to be wearing that around your neck? Would it be embarrassing? Like if you were seen by your neighbors and you were like, oh yeah, this is what I was doing. This is what I was focusing all my energy on. We know this. We know that we should be living for for deeper things. And we know that it matters for us to think about how we can give our lives away. We know that there are things that just aren't really all that valuable, but what would it look like for you to understand that, yes, there are some things that you should be working on and, and trying to achieve, but ultimately you're living for a different purpose? 
that you are called to be a follower of Jesus. We talked in our Bible study uh, this morning about John the Baptist, and he's just such a fascinating character because he's gaining more and more and more popularity, and people are coming out. It talks about how like the whole like, countryside was coming to hear him preach. And you know people whose success has ruined their lives. So he's been having some success. People are coming out to see what it is that he has to say. And what John constantly says is, it's not about me, it's about God. And the one who is coming after me, I'm not even going to be fit to tie his shoes, basically. Like, yes, I'm doing some good things, and it's important what I'm doing. It matters that I'm preaching. But ultimately, what God's going to do is way bigger. There's a problem um, at, at the Dead Sea around Israel. Here's a picture of it. Um, and they found that it is slowly shrinking a little bit. They're doing some things to try and conserve it. But it's fascinating because um, water goes in. The reason why it's called the Dead Sea is water goes into it, but no water goes out. And you would think that would be the best way for a sea to exist, right? You think that like if all you're doing is, is collecting, then eventually like, it's going to be good for you. But they found that ecologically, what ultimately helps for some reason, I don't even understand why this is perhaps, but ultimately it's best that a body of water would have both water coming into it and water going out of it. It's not natural that it's going to last forever if all you're doing is soaking it up. I think it's a helpful image for how I'm tempted to live at times where I don't necessarily think of how I can be a blessing to others or have the perspective that Jesus does that is described in Philippians chapter 2 that I would just learn how to give my life away. And you were made by God to live like that. It's fascinating in the gospel of Luke. Luke highlights people who are, are very odd. So Luke chapter 8 has these verses. After this, Jesus traveled about from town and village, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So a question you might not have ever asked is like, how did the disciples and Jesus pay for anything? Basically, it's saying in terms like Jesus had some sugar mamas hanging out. They had like some, some independent ladies who were able to, to throw down. So whenever the, the bill came at dinner and uh, Peter's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to look. Like, you, you know those people. And if you're not, you don't know no one. Maybe you are that person. Um, and so the bill, bill comes after dinner and like, Peter's like, I don't, I don't want to. And like Joanna's like, here, give it to me. I got it. You know, I'll, I'll take care of it. And this is an unbelievable statement that Jesus has like this group of, of women like in his posse, because who it was that you hung out with, who it was that you ate with, that defined you. See, what Jesus is often accused of is the fact that he is hanging out with sinners. He's having dinner with people who, like, you shouldn't associate with. And so in this group, like, his, his disciples and his posse, basically, there are women going around, and it's hilarious that it's not just like that women are like allowed to be there. The women are paying for the thing. Like, they're the ones who are, are, are supporting this work. And I think that one is, is fascinating. Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, 
And so often when we read things in the Bible, we're like, all right, thank you. But Chuzza would have been someone that, that would have been known in that community, a manager of Herod's household. That's a big deal. That's somebody who is, like, influential and important. Someone who had a, a whole lot of wealth. So Joanna, she's had the opportunity to live a pretty luxurious life. Adam, Adam Hamilton, an author, says this about um, Joanna. If you go to the next slide for me. Chuzza would have been responsible for a massive amount of wealth, which would have brought him a massive amount of wealth. Joanna would have been the elite. Her husband is the president's chief of staff. That's lavish banquets for hours with singers and dancers. That's various homes um, scattered around the country. That's the best clothes, the best art, the best furniture. That's a life that she apparently didn't find all that interesting because she's sharing a room at the Motel 6 in Cana with Mary, who used to have seven demons. She's sitting around the dinner table with small-town fishermen who are probably in their late late teens, early 20s. She's meeting lepers. She's hearing Jesus give sermons to thousands. There's thousands. Her life is way different, and I would argue way better. So she has lived in this lap of luxury, but she ends up hanging out with this vagabond group who didn't really have all that much, and she's found real life there. Something that we're not sure if it's against her husband's wishes, something that might have cost her a lot. But she says this kind of life is a life that's worth living. This quote by A.W. Tozer always helps me to think about this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What is it that you believe about God? That God loves you, that God loves the world, that God loves your neighbors, that God ultimately gave himself on a cross. And that design is in us as well. What is it that you're giving your life to that goes beyond you? And community is hard. When you're in a community and when you're volunteering, it's not always glamorous. Sometimes you have to be the person who does the thing that nobody really wants to do. And it's not always that fulfilling. You're not going to have like this powerful aha moment every time that you're there and every time that you're showing up. But ultimately, it matters. I had a friend who, who got out of ministry uh, because he, he said, I, I love the church, I just couldn't stand the people after a while. And I didn't. That's fair. Because community is hard. It's difficult. You know, you're, you're going to have to, like, not just talk about forgiveness, but at some point practice it. And you're going to have to be, like, somebody who sometimes is offended. I heard a, a great quote by a woman named uh, Christine Cleveland. She says, uh, if you're in real community, you'll be offended 100% of the time. There are going to be things that are hard as, as you volunteer, as you give your life to something more than you. So it's not always going to be that like, it's going to be this super pleasurable experience as it's happening, but I believe it will transform your life if you find something to give your life to. 
because it matters. And again, it's not just because the Bible tells us to, although I think that's also an important reason, but it's also for your own health and your own good. Because you aren't meant to just suck up the resources of life and just live for yourself. What is it that you're giving your life to? And is it really what you want? Is it really going to lead you to great fulfillment? Because you were made by a God who is generous. You're made by a God who is willing to come and find you where you are at. You're made by a God who is willing to give life away. May we understand together that truly is the best way to live. And what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let's pray, and as I'm praying, the band can come up on stage behind me. Father, we are are thankful for the ways that you call us out of ourselves. We can so easily just focus on whatever it is that's right in front of us and focus on protecting ourselves or thinking about how we would have a better life if it was just a little bit this way or that way. Father, help us to recognize that the best sort of life is the one that we give away. May we recognize that that is in your DNA and you call us to live the same way. Father, you are a good, loving, and generous God. May we live the same way so that we can realize our full identity and purpose. May we understand that that leads us to real fulfillment. Your son, Jesus, name I pray. Amen. So we're going to sing Lord Reign Me now, which is a familiar song probably to help us as we launch out into the week, think about how God is leading us and how ultimately the best sort of life is allowing God to reign in our hearts. So let's stand and worship together.